Hear these words from the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye, when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. This is the word of God for all people. Thanks be to God. Welcome to online worship at Missouri United Methodist Church. It's good to have you with us once again. This morning, we're continuing our post-Easter message series that is focusing on some questions that Jesus asked uh, to coach us into new life. We've been saying that uh, Jesus' preferred method of coaching was to use questions, questions that cause us to think, to grow and act on our own, questions that bring fresh new insight uh, to old issues, questions that cause us to make new connections and new commitments, questions that have the power to change our lives if we wrestle honestly and struggle sincerely with the answers. In our coaching session with Jesus today, we focus on Jesus' question in Matthew 7. And here's the question. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a plank in your own? Or how can you even think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Now, you know how it works, right? Uh, someone calls you up to complain about how much their friend gossips. Or a child tells a parent that his little brother tattles all the time. Or someone calls you and angrily says of a mutual acquaintance, she ought to be condemned for judging me like that. And even as you're listening to these comments right now, some of you are thinking of someone else in your own life who notices others' faults rather than his or her own. And in each of those instances, I don't know if you noticed or not, but the focus is on the faults of someone else. The question asked by Jesus today gives us much-needed insight into human nature and into the realm of personal growth. When we're tempted to examine the faults and failings of another person, it's a sobering reminder to ponder our own failures and focus on the blind spots in our own lives. It's always easier to notice a speck of black pepper stuck in someone else's teeth than to spot the green lettuce that's marring our own smiles. It's tempting to cr critique those who criticize others, unaware that in doing so, we ourselves are guilty of exactly the same thing. So here's the setting for the question that Jesus asked this morning. This teaching from Jesus comes from the Gospel of Matthew, which was written for an audience that was primarily Jewish. And these words from Jesus are also found in what we call the Sermon on the Mount, a summary of Jesus' essential teachings to his disciples. Now, we know that in, in this most Jewish of the Gospels, Jesus usually had the Pharisees, the professional nitpickers and rule keepers, in the back of his mind. And that's almost certainly the case here. But while the Pharisees are in the backdrop, we shouldn't miss the point that this teaching is addressed to us, his followers. So let's not make the mistake of thinking that this is about them. It's about us. 
all us, all of us Pharisees. And in fact, given the nature of this teaching, this passage doesn't allow us the luxury of pointing the accusing finger in any other direction. So Jesus uses what we might call hyperbolic humor in this passage. In other words, he's intentionally overstating the case and going over the top with absurdity to make his point when he asks the question, how can you even think of saying to your friend, here, let me get that speck out of your eye when you have a plank, a two by four protruding out of your own eye? Now, the answer to the question is, of course, an obvious one. No one with a stick stuck in their eye could see clearly to carefully remove a speck of dust from anyone else's eye. And yet, and this is the point that Jesus is making, we do that all the time. Jesus is pointing directly to the absurdity of us judging one another. Now, this is where we need to engage uh, our playful imagination just a little bit because Jesus was doing this. Jesus' audience would have been laughing in the aisles when they heard this uh, example from Jesus. And so the approach by Jesus is meant to be hyperbolic. It's meant to be humorous, but the subject matter is serious and sober. So for the balance of our time together today, I want to focus on the essence of what Jesus is teaching here. His focus is on why we shouldn't judge one another. And let me give you a couple of reasons why that surface in this story. Uh, we should never judge one another because we never know the full story and we never know the whole person. Hillel, the famous rabbi, once said, never judge someone until you yourself have come into their circumstances and situation. That's very akin, by the way, to the Native American proverb, don't judge anyone until you've walked a mile in their moccasins. None of us can truly know the depth of another person's difficulties and challenges unless we've lived their life. We have different personalities, we have different histories, we have different experiences, different realities, differences that keep us from being able to fully appreciate and fully understand where another person is and who they really are. Uh, there's a kind of crystal called a Labrador spar. At first sight, it is dull and it's without any luster at all. But if it's turned round and around and here and there, it will suddenly come into a position where the light strikes it in just a certain way that it will sparkle with flashing beauty. And people are often like that. They may seem unlovely simply because we don't know the whole person. Everyone has something good, however, in him or her. And our task is not to condemn or judge by superficial observations, but to look for the underlying beauty that's there. And that's how we'd want others to relate to us, right? And that's how we should relate to them. It is so easy to make critical evaluations about people when we don't know the true nature of their heart or the full reality of their situation. So let me illustrate that. When I was attending a very small uh, private church-related college in Cleveland, Tennessee, one of my favorite professors was uh, Melvin Hyatt, uh, with whom I became very close, by the way. Um, and he became really upset at one of my very best friends because my friend routinely fell asleep in Dr. Hyatt's classes. And although he was an able and conscientious student, Dr. Hyatt was on the verge of flunking or just dismissing him altogether. But before doing so, he decided to pay a brief visit to the on-campus apartments for married students where my friend lived. 
And when he arrived at the apartment, my friend's uh, wife told Dr. Hyatt that her husband was doing laundry. And so he went down to the laundry area and witnessed an unforgettable sight. Uh, My friend was sitting in front of the washing machines with a theology textbook in his lap, his baby on his chest, and he was sound asleep. The wife uh, told Dr. Hyatt before he left that Uh, Her husband was working two jobs, one at the Red Food Store, which was a local grocery store, uh, in the evenings, and then at Roadway Trucking, loading trucks all night. She had fallen very ill uh, after the birth of their baby, and that meant that my friend was actually doing most of what she had done before. Now she was unable to do much of that, which meant that he wasn't doing double, but he was doing triple duty in addition to his full-time studies at, at Tomlinson College. Dr. Hyatt told me that uh, he had a deeper understanding and a more sympathetic heart regarding my friend after that single, simple experience. You know, it only takes uh, one experience of seeing the, the full context and reality of someone's life to see them in a totally different light. And so we should never uh, judge because we never know the full story or the whole person. Secondly, It's not wise to judge because it's impossible for us to be totally impartial in our judgment. One of my favorite quotes is this, We see things not as they are, but as we are. We all understand that. uh, That when we hear people talking critically about someone else, we're often learning more about the person talking than the person being talked about. And the plain truth is that we tend to find what we're looking for. If you're looking for the negative in others, I can guarantee you that you'll find something to confirm your suspicions. If you're striving to uncover the best in others, you're likely to find verifications of that. And when you catch yourself focusing on the errors and omissions of others, maybe we should ask ourselves why we're looking for weak spots. What are our motives for pointing out the negatives in others? If you'll answer that question honestly... It will tell you volumes about yourself. So another illustrated story. Some years ago, very early, in fact, in my ministry, uh, I served a church in Lovington, New Mexico. Uh, And while there, I had what I would call a truly life-changing experience that I'll share with you. I'll I'll give you the broad strokes without getting into all the finer details. But the church that I was serving was struggling to survive. Uh, The property, both the parsonage and the church, were in bad need of a complete overhaul. The congregation was turned inward and and didn't really have a ministry of outreach and witness. They didn't have a presence or a real strong voice in the community. The budget was suffering, which uh, resulted in me being bivocational. And I worked during the week as a laborer for a church member who was in the construction business. And after a year or so in this particular pastoral appointment... I became very discouraged, impatient, frustrated, and somewhat angry at the indifference that I sensed among the church members. Uh, They didn't want to grow, I thought. They were slow to change. They had sour attitudes. They were unwilling to serve and volunteer for vital ministries in the church. And, And I was fed up. Something had to change. But one day I was out on a job site about 10 miles outside of town in the middle of the windswept desert of southeastern New Mexico. Danny Lamb, the contractor with whom I worked, uh, gave me some work to do in his absence as he ran into town to pick up some essential supplies. And after about an hour or so, I finished my job, but, but Danny didn't show back up. 
in fact, he didn't show up till three or four hours later. He, he was held up with some particular something, I'm not sure. But that meant that I had some hours alone out there on this job site all by myself. So I began to walk around the job site. Uh, it would eventually, as I said, be several more hours before Danny showed up. And for some reason, out there in the middle of nowhere, alone with my inner emotions and my private thoughts, I was led into a time of reflection and prayer. And I began to pray. So here's how I prayed. I prayed for those poor, pitiful church members and began asking God to change their hearts. I prayed. I cried to God. I wept. I prayed some more and wept some more. It was a deep, moving, cleansing experience for me. And you know what? When I saw all of the church members during our next worship service, I was amazed. Uh, the lay leader for the congregation had changed. He didn't get on my nerves anymore. A certain couple in the congregation seemed to have gone through a personality transplant. Uh, they were more pleasant, less critical. Uh, several of the young fathers in that church with whom I developed deep relationships didn't seem to be lazy, lousy slouches that they had previously been. And it was amazing how the entire church family had changed following those few hours of solitude and prayer in the New Mexico scrubland. Now, you know what happened, right? They hadn't really changed at all, but I had. I came to see them differently after God did a real work of grace in my own heart. In fact, not only did I see them differently, but I saw my own pastoral ministry in that setting differently. I now saw possibilities where there were none before. Uh, I now saw available qualified people with whom I could work. I now saw hope and help that I had overlooked. The world around me had changed because my heart inside me had changed. The transformation happened in me. And because of that, everything changed. My situations, the problems I faced, the challenges in front of us as a congregation, the resources available to meet those challenges, other people. I mean, the whole world looked differently because I had changed. So the way we see things makes all the difference in the world. Jesus spoke to this when he said, your eye is the lamp that provides light for your body. You draw light into your body through your eyes and light shines out to the world through your eyes. So if your eye is well and shows you what is true, then your whole body will be filled with light. But if your eye is clouded or compromised or evil, then your body will be filled with dark and evil clouds. That is the deepest, darkest darkness there is. So do you hear what Jesus is saying? We see the world not as it is, but as we are. Now, by the way, I can add a footnote. We saw God do great things in that congregation as we worked together in a new and more cooperative spirit in the, the, the months following uh, that epiphany out in the, uh, the southeastern New Mexico desert. And then the final reason we shouldn't judge each other is because we simply aren't good enough to stand over another person. Uh, in drawing this vivid picture of a man with a plank in his eye trying to fish a speck of dust out of someone else's eye, Jesus is going to absurd lengths to drive one point home. Only God is qualified to judge. In fact, one of my favorite quotes is, There is so much bad in the best of us and so much good in the worst of us 
that it doesn't make sense for any of us to find fault with the rest of us. So what are the takeaways from this message? How do we get personal with this teaching from Jesus? I'll offer a few quick suggestions. The most important work that God wants to do is the work of grace that changes us. The greatest work is done in us. Secondly, the hardest question to ask honestly is this, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to change? And then third, use any indication or inclination rather to notice the weaknesses and the flaws in others as a means of self-awareness and self-reflection. Most of us aren't ready to honestly face ourselves. And then I'll finally just offer three takeaway questions in the model that Jesus used to ask questions. I hope these cause you to think and reflect in the coming week. But here are three takeaway questions. How might my irritation with others' faults serve as a diversion from working on myself? Another question is, what are the three things about myself that I want to improve? How can the awareness of these keep me humble and gracious in dealing with others? And then finally, who can I trust to get honest feedback about my own blind spots? That's homework for the coming week. I know this is hard work. Uh, it is what we might call soul work, but it is worth it. And if we are totally honest, I mean truly honest with ourselves and with God, we might just find that the life-giving changes that need to happen are the ones that need to happen in us. Amen.